welcome to If the Couch Could Speak. My name is Jessica, the CEO of Happy Little Brains. I am so excited to welcome you to our Halloween episode. We have lots of spookies and treats here for you today, but I want to introduce the team to you guys. If you ever want to see more information about anyone here on this podcast, feel free to check out www.happylittlebrains. That's little L I L brains.com. You can see all of the lovely faces if you're not watching on YouTube, and you can get to know a bit more about each of the clinicians here because all of us have some really awesome uniqueness that we bring to the table. However, I would love to introduce and show some lovely faces in here. I'll go first. I am Jessica. I'm the CEO of Happy Little Brains, the host of this podcast. My niche is geek and gaming therapy, but also complex PTSD. I am a registered associate marriage and family therapist, but I will be taking my exam next month. So I hope by then I can say that I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Without further ado, I'm going to go, thank you, Kat. I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic on over to Samantha to introduce herself. Take it away, Samantha. Hi, I'm Samantha. You can call me Sam. Um, I am also a registered associate marital and family therapist. I specialize a lot in trauma, complex PTSD. I've just finished my EMDR certification. So that has been an amazing journey as well. I love working with adolescents, teens, suicidality, depression, um, addictions. That's kind of like all that gunk stuff. That's really what I love to kind of get into and get dirty with that. So yeah, that's just kind of a little bit about me. Thank you, Sam. Go ahead, Ben. So I am Benjamin. I am a registered psychological assistant, though as of January, the title changed to Registered Psychological Associate because the state of California decided that I should have the title associate, which I think is cool because it sounds better than assistant. But I am Registered Psychological Assistant. I am working uh, under supervision of a forensic psychologist and a clinical psychologist in two different internships. Um, my clinical work currently uh, revolves around addiction, trauma, anxiety, uh, and depression, as well as children and families. Um, forensic uh, work is currently assisting with uh, child custody evaluations, some criminal mental diversion, um, and hopefully I will have some immigration stuff in the near future. My supervisor is teasing me with it. She's like, okay, I'm going to have this. I'm like, okay, when? Um, but that is what I'm doing currently. I previously worked for five years as a social worker in psychiatric hospitals, so any kind of psychosis, really serious mental illness, like schizophrenia and all that jazz, I love that stuff. Um, I, I just will go all into the delusions. So that's me. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. Josh? There you go. Sorry, I was just admiring how pretty my eyes are with this makeup. Your eyes um, look so pretty. Josh. I, they really do. Like I'm attracted to myself right now. So I, I'm, I'm really liking this. This may be a regular thing now. Um, anyway, my name is Joshua Shea. I am a certified betrayal trauma coach. I am certified as a therapeutic disclosure coordinator, and I specialize in pornography addiction, uh, sex addiction, and betrayal trauma stemming from it. 
Awesome. Thank you, Josh. And Josh also has some really awesome books that you should check out as well. And take it away, Kat. Hey, guys. <clears throat> I am Catherine, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I love how many LMFDs are, you know, registered intern uh, marriage family therapists there are here because that is awesome. Um, I'm the lead LMFT at a practice lovingly known as Puzzle Piece Counseling. Um, while I work with uh, people of most ages, uh, I specialize in autism and broad neurodiversity. And I also um, am a certified Gottman's couple therapist, a certified equine assisted psychotherapist, and recently a certified clinical trauma professional. Um, yeah, and so I also on the side have a blog um, called Cat the Counselor, uh, where I strive to capture tidbits and tangents from both sides of the therapist chair. So that is me in a snapshot. Awesome, thanks Kat, love your kitty ears by the way. All right, take it away Deborah. Hello fellow clinicians, my name is Deborah Bloom and I'm a licensed mental health and licensed in marriage and family therapist. I operate right here in beautiful South Florida. I am originally from Brazil. So I conduct a lot of counseling in Portuguese as well as in Spanish, working with all of the Latinx community over here. And also some folks that have recently come into um, our country. Uh, I specialize in the area of related disorder uh, as well as um, grief and drama and really just life because life is tough so i really try to meet clients where they're at working in this approach connect mind body and spirit and uh calling people out on their shit when they need it and so grateful to be here thanks so much jessica thank you so much for joining and i'm glad to have you here i also love the calling people out on their shit also as a reminder this podcast does have filters kids shouldn't be listening to this shit we will be cussing Brittany. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany Cockrum, and I am a licensed professional counselor based out of Alabama. I am currently employed with a university EAP system, and but my specialty is actually adolescence and through adulthood. Um, and I really like focusing on topics like um, LGBTQIA issues, um, anxiety, neurodiversity. I enjoy including pop culture and geek references into a lot of my work, which is how Jessica and I met. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. And last but certainly not least, Miss Carissa. Hey, everybody, I'm back. It is Carissa. I am a registered associate marriage and family therapist, as well as a registered associate professional clinical counselor here in the state of California. I work at a private practice where I see a wide range of individuals and couples. Uh, I would say my specialty is also about calling people out on their bullshit, but also about the laughter because laughter is the best medicine. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Let's get into it, guys. Let's get into it indeed. So Keeping with the theme of this week of the spookies, it's fitting that we jump into these spider pages. Absolutely. Um, and totally, like, I want to recommend if, if anybody's out there that listens to our podcast, right, this podcast that we're doing together, um, that the lovely Jessica has put out. Please, 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 this week is the week to check out the YouTube because we are all dressed up and we look fantastic. I love our costumes. I just wanted to shout that out because we did a great job, you guys. 
Yes, let's pause for a second. Let's explore these costumes real quick. So, Carissa. Yes, I am a pirate. Arr, mateys. A pirate? Just yeah. for a pirate wench? Or yeah. I would love to be a pirate wench, you know? You know what I'm saying? Say, I yeah. got, like, the whole fit That's together. That's what I'm like, get it, Ooh, girl. Oh, that waist right. Yes, got it. about it. We like, just I'm talked about how this is not for kids, so. Yeah, this is not for kids, <laughs> um, but I am totally, like, I Therefore, seriously, I got if friends oh. back here, you know, I love that. Seriously, well, if y'all are... are your clients, <laughs> <laughs> if y'all are not so watching, good. she can bring people back from the dead. Oh my god, I love that. If y'all are not watching on YouTube, seriously, you're missing out. I am dressed up for my concert later tonight. I'm going to the Nightmare Before Christmas show live. I'm so stoked. But I'm Evil Teddy, but I also did this awesome, like, skull makeup for funsies. And my dress, the little buttons are pumpkins. Oh, they're so cute. so cute. And then for creative points, Brittany. I just figured it out. I love it. Um, I am the brawny man or woman. I don't know. Really it doesn't matter. But yeah, that's what we're doing today. That is fantastic. I didn't even notice that. I was just like, oh, she's wearing a blouse. Like, okay. At first, I thought it was toilet paper and it was like a joke on like hoarding toilet paper. I thought it was a COVID <laughs> joke, but I mean, I mean, living in Alabama, that's relevant. That, that is something that could happen. Tossing the paper towels, like selling the sheets, $5 a piece. You there know? you go. There you go. It's called entrepreneurship. It's, you know, part of the American dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who else is just that? Cat? Oh, I'm Cat, the counselor, literally and figuratively. <laughs> My shirt says meow. I like it. So cute. And Josh, your, your eye makeup, like I, I can't. I know it's it's I can't either. It's, it's a little point. thick on top, but it, I I may need to go look at a tutorial later to figure out how to do this correctly every day. I can uh, totally walk you okay. through that, like hands down. I will hold like a tutorial for okay. how to maybe maybe we can just start another podcast about <laughs> well, absolutely. absolutely me 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 can, can in one year can you turn me into like the best self makeup artist? Yes. Okay, that's 100%. what we should try. Making Josh that's a beauty guru. Yeah, so exactly. For it. That's Absolutely. that's what I, I I need a few more lines for my uh, obituary. That'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam, you look so cute. I'm Kiki. So cute, so cute. We have such an awesome, awesome episode this week but spider pages let's go let's do this shit spider pages guys i was all up in these spider pages this week i just want to let you know because <laughs> there was some stuff and i kept teetering and tottering over which one to pick and i decided to go over the first one that i read because the other one was like too close to the heart right now as an associate <laughs> with supervision stuff so <laughs> and that is a topic for another episode that's a topic for another episode so at least the whole episode one. on just supervision are we gonna talk about this other one 
Um, so if you guys, if this is your first time listening, basically what the spider pages is, is we are going to talk about something that kind of came up because as clinicians, we are governed by a licensing body, um, a board, um, depending on our state, the one here in California is the board of behavioral, uh, sciences, and they have disciplinary actions for when we royally fuck up. Okay, and so what I'm going to talk about here, I'm not going to give any names, nobody's going to have any names, I'm going to use a generic name like Toxic Tammy or Toxic Tom, we're going to go over the story and talk about what we can learn about this so that you as an audience can know what some red flags are, and that we can talk about, hey, did have you ever run into this, like, have you ever seen stuff like this, this blows my mind, um, so let's get into it, so this person, we are back to Toxic Tammy. I think Toxic Tom was the last two. We need to bring it back to Toxic Tammy, okay? Toxic Tammy needs her time to shine. So Toxic Tammy is actually an associate. Why? I, it makes me so sad when this happens to us. <laughs> but basically Toxic Tammy um, was in a setting where she was working with um, a client that was on parole. She provided uh, therapy services. Nothing wrong with that. We work with all range of clients. But where things get messed up is that shortly after concluding, she started dating said client, um, like the next month. Um, the client had schizoaffective and this client, oh my God, it, it was like a Halloween horror movie of how he stalked her and came to her apartment, all called her incessantly to the point where she outed herself to get rid of this client. Uh, she was scared. Um, they did an investigation. The client ultimately pressed charges against her saying like they were in a relationship and then the relationship ended, but he, you know, the client didn't want to leave toxic Tammy. And so after a uh, back and forth um, of, you know, stalking her, coming to her house, calling her incessantly. They finally uh, called the cops. Client was taken away. Then she was charged for, you know, obviously negligence and harm to the client. Um, and again, guys, therapy should never include sex. I think that's the running the theme for spider first pages. Thing that they teach you in school and also like one of the most common things that they talk about in any kind of ethics class is like relationships between a therapist and a client and like you know different like time frames like how long can you wait or should you wait all those kind of things. I, I mean one month no no that's a big no no because if a month is when they officially started, come on, how many people put on Facebook that they're officially dating the second after the first date? Come on, no. They probably no. were doing something before while they were still in sessions. Like, don't um, even be friends. Like, don't no. know like, anybody can, outside of the yeah, bubble. You, you, you know, and that's, that's uh, happens, unfortunately, because therapists are understanding people. We, you know, are validating of people's experiences. And sometimes... The therapist is the only person who seems to understand the client or seems to really see them and for people who maybe have been through a lot of neglect and rejection in their life um that and might have had some other like socioeconomic issues that they didn't have the kind of healthy family relationships they cling to that so 
I, I mean, I can. I'll, I the second you said that she was working with someone on parole, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. But yeah. what actually interested me was you said she that the client had schizoaffective disorder. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. So because I worked with schizoaffective uh, disorder when I worked in the hospital, and very few of them were like so like clingy to that kind of degree. Um, maybe they would have like delusions, but very, very rare for schizoaffective because schizoaffective is primarily more um, the mood issues, like mood swings that are similar to bipolar and hallucinations. Delusions and schizoaffective are not as severe typically. Um, so that was very interesting that that happened. But I mean, it happens. It can happen, definitely. And especially if there's like erotomanic delusions where someone believes that the other person is in love with them which then if he had those that weren't discussed in therapy or whatever, and he already had that kind of underlying issue and she starts engaging in relationship like activities, you're just like confirming his delusions. Yeah. Um, so you know, there are better boundary. places to find dates. You know, there's a lot of online dating apps now. Don't find a date from your therapist or from your client if you are a therapist. Absolutely, and I think the other important dynamic that they drill in in grad school is that unfair power dynamic and that unfair power balance because we really are holding a huge space for our clients, especially those with schizoaffective. And for those who aren't familiar with schizoaffective, it's schizophrenia symptoms with a mood disorder. So in this case, possibly like depression, but we don't know without all of that information. However, our clients are coming in unloading and being vulnerable in this space and we're really not expected to unload our vulnerability onto our clients as well i mean there's a huge difference between unloading vulnerability for the sake of like a relationship dynamic and self-disclosure but of course self-disclosure on a therapeutic level so it sounds like here Definitely not that. I mean, I send my clients a good TikTok, a good meme every once in a while, and we have that rapport, but that's different from, hey, let's fuck. Yeah. Right. There's a slight <laughs> difference. You know, there's a, a, just a, a little. boundary between, just a little. you know, you can send friendly text messages, you know, happy holidays, whatever. You can yeah. be friendly. You are not their friend. And on that note, to all of you who are my friends, I have to go because I have to go deal with the client who is not my friend. Have a great day, Ben. See you next day. Also, one of the things I was thinking about is how often, you know, are breakups really clear cut and just bam, right? I am also thinking of it from the other end. What kind of led to him kind of mm-hmm. coming around and trying to? Was there any engage trying to like get her back? Was there any kind of ambivalence or you know, did she leave the door open for opportunity? And then at some point was like, shit, I can't, I gotta go, you know, and that might've exacerbated these symptoms. So I just think, you know, just from my experiences with like what clients share and my own, you know, it's never really just we're over, you know? It it really isn't. And I had this happen with one of my clients too, who had to take a break for financial reasons. And they even messaged me saying the Leon Ram song of I Need You. Hilarious, that poor (laughs) though. But it's never clear cut. I have clients come back all the time. So with that two year rule, it's there for a reason. It's not just don't fuck your clients. And especially you're not supposed to end therapy saying, you know what, let's end 
not chat for like two years and then we can fuck like no it's not that at all and i think a lot of and it's unfortunate this is an associate this is someone who put hundreds of thousands of dollars into schooling into undergrad into grad school all those grueling hours and it sucks that at that point they didn't have those ethics drilled into them of two years man because a one month and things get messy because we are holding that vulnerable space for clients it's not going to end well even if you go into it with the best intentions ever there's ethics for a reason Absolutely. And it's it's kind of that idea of like once a client, like always a client, like once we start that therapeutic relationship, you know, that's there and that's cherished. And that is my responsibility as a therapist in order to create that space and maintain those boundaries too. Yeah, I wanted to share a story with you guys. Uh, so a couple of years back uh, when I was in uh, grad school, I had met a person that I knew who was a um, PhD. She was actually a PsyD. And she had met a lady who was actually her client. And the client and them ended their therapeutic relationship, but they started their dating and romantic relationship. And then I found out about two years after that they, they got married. They got married. I said, how is that, how is that possible? It goes beyond everything that we've been taught not to do. You're going to go after your client. Like, really? Come on. It's like outside that bubble. We create that space for them for healing. But I, it blows my mind because, you know, now that you're listening, you, we're, we're hearing these spider pages, you know, every time we, we do this podcast, it happens. I'm hearing from other colleagues. I'm hearing from other people. I'm like, what is going on out there? You guys don't find qualified, like, candidates to date. You got to go after your clients. Again, the therapeutic cast or the therapeutic couch is not the casting couch. This no. is not where you should be finding your partners. I also was smiling because... Josh over here looks like a villain. He's petting the kitty and he has the <laughs> baby kittens ever. <gasps> Seriously, oh. if you're not watching on YouTube, you're missing out. Like, we got baby kittens up in here. And we got kitty tails up in here too. But I'm not a I'm not a villain. I'm a I'm a nineteen eighty-six high school student who hasn't you're figured out his here, Just like, like yeah, diabolically. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I'm here for it. We will also have a future episode featuring all the pets. Don't worry. So if you're not following or subscribed on YouTube, you are missing out. Now, I wanted to get into the juicy bits of this week and what we want to explore. It's kind of a play on or a continuation of what we explored last week of being scared shitless as a therapist of like, oh, fuck, what do I do? Because let's be real, grad school doesn't really teach us how to handle crisis. I don't remember a single course that taught me how to handle crisis. No course that goes over suicide assessment, at least in my school. But and I know Chris and I went to the same school, same with David, he wasn't able to make it here this week due to an intake. But things get very scary as a clinician. We'll go over the best moments too, but I figured let's start with a little bit juicier moments of the scaries. I typically go first, so I'm going to let whoever else wants to go first take the mic. The scariest moment as a therapist. So I have, I have one. So this was my final straw to get out of community mental health. 
Um, so I used to work at this larger community mental health center where you had no say over who you worked with. They were very much just like, here you go, good luck. Um, and this one particular kiddo, they were seven years old and they were coming to therapy uh, because the parents wanted an exorcism performed. Um, yes, so this child had uh, stood over uh, their parents multiple times with a knife and the parents would wake up to this child standing over them with a knife, seven. Um, he, or they just got expelled um, from school because they put another child's head through a window in a school bus and they like to chase around their dog. Like and through the like, window? Like they broke the window, the window with the kid's face? Broke the window with the kid's face. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, and they like to chase um, the dog around with scissors. And yes, and I was told to put all of my sharp objects away, including pencils, and to work with the child with the door open. And I was, uh, I expressed my, uh, you know, discomfort with this and they're like I'm sorry good luck yeah it was the most terrifying session of my life and I immediately put my two weeks in and said this is not worth it I do Bye. not perform exorcisms so there's my horror story <laughs> not gonna lie wow. there's there's some kids where I'm like could this kid mm -hmm. benefit more from an exorcism or Ooh. from therapy right like, or it that, that reminds me of this kid that I had, not my scary story, but I remember consulting with a teacher in the classroom when I was back in school based and one of the, the kiddos walked into the classroom and he was talking to the teacher about like favoritism and being upset about that, started walking away and the teacher was trying to get his attention and the kid like like exorcist style bent over backwards to stare <laughs> at the teacher and was just like communicating that way and i'm just like are you okay buddy like that doesn't look comfortable and he's like yeah popped right back up went back to recess but the teacher and i are looking at each other like what did we just watch that just happened <laughs> That is amazing. I feel like I would be that child. One hundred percent. 100%. I'm trying to understand what the miscommunication was about a therapist could pro provide exorcism. I know. That's like, fair. Where, where on my transcript said that I was trained anywhere? I mean, I wonder if there's oh. like priest therapists. I mean, I know there's, there's clergy therapists, right? I wonder if there's a priest therapist that utilizes exorcisms. Oh my gosh, we need to find out. That'd be cool. That is a good question. I actually don't know. There must be. They still have rights of exorcism. So they I've seen one in person. They must, they must be performing them regularly. I, I've seen one. The last time I saw one was 2010. Wow. Did the power of Christ compel them? Actually, yeah, I was at this like super huge religious conference back when I was religious and they, it's called being slain by the Holy Spirit and they blacked out and it was a, a good friend of mine. He was really, really skinny and had a more higher pitched voice is around pre puberty ish time. And now he's or now she's an amazing drag queen. Um, and I believe she fully transitioned, actually, if I remember correctly. But it they started speaking in tongues. 
and I know this individual, they didn't know any of these languages. They were not a bodybuilder, but it took, I want to say about six grown ass people to hold them back. That's terrifying. It was so terrifying. All of us slept with our Bibles that night. But yeah, I've seen an exercise them. It is not fun. I mean, I've also seen Tupperware flying across my living room. So I'm fairly used to paranormal things like that. But shit's terrifying. I wouldn't want to do that in session. No. Speaking of terrifying, who would like to go next? All right, I'll go, even though I'm not in costume, we got a pretty crazy story. So uh, much like Miss Cat, uh, I used to work for a community mental health agency in an assisted living facility. And most of the patients there were severely mentally ill. They were all schizophrenic, severe mood disorders, bipolarity, up the wazoo. And from time to time, I would go in and try to stabilize them and bring in some therapeutic tools. And everyone there had auditory, visual hallucinations. I mean, you name it. They poor things defecated on themselves. Uh, it, it, it got scary to the point that one of the patients there, he uh, claimed that I was from another planet and that I wasn't really human, that I was this otherworldly thing. So he kind of got me by my back and he held a knife to me and he said, I need your pure blood. So they had to call the cops and kind of held me with a knife and I freaked out. I thought for sure my life is over. My career as a cl clinician is gone. So that was crazy. They had to call the cops or strain him like, what the hell am I doing? I'm getting out of this loony bin. I got to figure something else out. Yeah, that was pretty nuts. I'm so, so glad I work telehealth. Yeah, that's above our pay grade. <laughs> 100%, which is another conversation for mm -hmm. another time. I'll go. My first one, not as big and scary um, in terms of threatening for my life. But for me, it was scary in the sense that I had no fucking clue what I was doing. And I was terrified as a clinician. This was the worst case of imposter syndrome I have ever experienced. So I went to Pepperdine and when I started my practicum, I want to say my child and adolescent course was towards the, the later part of my grad school. So at this point, I didn't even have a child and adolescence course. And even then, I don't I fully don't think it would have prepared me for school based counseling. Anyone here has done school based counseling? No, it sucks. I love it. It is amazing. I love working with the kids, but if you have never worked in a school before, you don't know the nuances of the school system, who you have to communicate with, the frustrations of a kid not coming into your class and you find out that they're on a field trip when you've asked the teachers to let you know in advance, it's very frustrating. But my first day of school base, I had two kiddos, only two kiddos on my caseload, and both of them were suicidal. And that's what was reported on the referral. I had no training in working with kids. My practicum site was absolutely horrendous. And if any of y'all want to hear my stories from that, I'll share. But for the sake of not defaming them, um, I'm not going to go into detail about that. But the training was fucking terrible. It was literally a checklist of, do you know how to log into the computer? Do you know how to log into XM? cool it wasn't hey this might help in a school setting i had no fucking clue what i was doing 
and I had two suicidal kids. So I knew I had to do a suicidal assessment. No clue how to do it. Had no clue how to even talk about suicide with a kid. I mean, ironically, now it's my specialty, but I was sitting there like, how do I even ask a kid? Like, hi, kiddo. Do you want to die? Have you had thoughts of wanting to die? Like, I had no clue what I was doing. None of my supervisors were answering. So that goes back to kind of what we were talking about last week where you're stuck. You're like, I don't know what to do. This dude clearly has a scar on his neck. Like, what do I do? And I was in that same exact position. No clue. Thankfully, I handled it with ease. But those situations are terrifying. Handling your first crisis. I will never forget my first crisis call where I had a individual in my office, I was doing an anxiety group and I noticed, you know, signs of suicide ideation. So I pulled them aside afterwards. I'm like, hey, like, let's stick around. I did an assessment. They had everything but the eminence. They even had the color of the rope picked out. And I was sitting there like, fuck, what do I do? What do I do? And thankfully I was secure enough in myself that I was able to handle it. I was able to get them the help that they need. And I'm happy to report that they're still alive to this day and thriving and doing amazing. I know they're listening to this. I am so proud of you, dude. So proud of you. But it's terrifying in those moments. And I feel like school really does us a disservice sometimes in preparing us truly for handling these situations. It's scary. Who wants to go next? I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, say that thankfully I didn't go to school for any of this stuff. Um, uh, if you if you want to prepare for you know this stuff, be a journalist because I saw all kinds of people die and all kinds of twisted stuff happen to people right in front of me. Um, my story is a little different. The most shocking thing I did share last week, and uh, I'd tell you about it, but I want you. To I think you take the cake for that. Well, one. I was going to say just just go back to listen to last week's episode so you can hear that then. Um, Honestly, the scariest moment I ever had was probably about a year ago. Now, understand that I was a porn addict for 24 years. I was an alcoholic for 22 years, and I was a workaholic, and that probably did more damage to my family than anything else. However, I ran my life as, I don't know, it wasn't even gaslighting. It was this other upper echelon level of it. Uh, where I was just the most manipulative little shit you'd ever meet in the world. I mean, I should have had like an advanced doctorate in it. And big part of my recovery over the last eight years has been empathy and learning how to not manipulate and trying to uh, uh, pull that under control. And uh, about probably my third or fourth uh, female client that I had, um, I was t I was talking to her. She had uh, a lot of issues uh, when she was a kid, uh, sexual abuse on her dad's part. Her husband was a porn addict. It was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was now I'm learning kind of a typical story, but um, she and I were talking about, we had two or three sessions where she was talking about how she fantasized about a life without him. And I just was like, well, you know, he's put you through a lot and it's a lot of trauma and you certain, I, I, I would think that anybody in your position would imagine what it would be like without this. Um, so to me, that's, that sounds completely, you know, reasonable. Um, she drops me an email two days later on a Saturday and says, I did it. I took your device. I, I took your advice. I told him I wanted a divorce. 
And I was like, oh, I never said that, did I? I, I never said that. I, and then until I talked to her again four days later, um, I was really worried that I had somehow manipulated her into deciding she wanted to get a divorce. Uh, and I pay very close attention to that when I'm working with somebody is, you know, am I not steering them down a certain road? And uh, that really scared the hell out of me for those four days. And I remember my wife even saying, you are distant. And I remember just thinking that I don't know this guy. She could be psycho and he could be a perfectly nice guy and she could be blowing his life up. I've only talked to her three weeks. I have no idea what actually is going on with her beyond a couple hours of, you know, trivia. And uh, that, that really, um, that was, that was true scariness to me. I mean, you can, you can tell me messed up stories, but the idea that I caused somebody to do something that I didn't even know if it was the right thing because she hadn't shared enough yet. And I didn't say anything about it. And we worked it out. And she is somebody who I now know, if you say it's a nice day outside, that means we have to go kayaking for eight hours. Uh, and, and I now know I now know her her rhythm. So it's better. But for those three, four days, that was my scariest time, because I just thought that I had kind of fallen back into the way I was. And I was just being now I'm a manipulative coach. I'm not a manipulative addict. Yay. But so that was, that was that nothing, nothing visually scary, just let, staying on my conscience for a few days. Sometimes that can be the scariest too, of sitting with that. And then especially on like the weekend, we can't get a hold of a supervisor. I answered one of my kiddos parents phone calls once at 10 o'clock at night when all my supervisors were long past asleep and found out that they were hospitalized after an attempt and sitting with that guilt of like oh my god did i say something did i cause something like am i the reason they're in here that is rough and sitting with that alone is rough nothing like a good trigger after working with a client no so fun so Mm -mm. who would like to go next i will because i think mine's probably just a little shorter um i think when I think about just the scariest moment as a therapist is probably going right into practicum when I was in graduate school. I have this vivid memory from one of my earliest classes in graduate school of a professor telling us that like, because we were asking questions, um, we weren't in diagnosis type courses yet. So we were asking questions about some of the more severe mental illnesses and some of the more major mood disorders. And I have this vivid memory of one professor being like, you know, we can talk about those things, but there's a large chance that most of you won't work with these populations, which is true, you know, from our class, like if you look at who is still working with those populations regularly, like in an inpatient or an intensive outpatient, most of us are EAP, private practice, hospital-based. However, my practicum experience was in an intensive day treatment program with SMI adults. So I remember having this moment of almost being out of the proverbial frying pan and into the fire and just being like, what the hell did I get myself into? This is terrible. I'm in trouble. And then it's just that constant like feeling of I'm just not prepared for this. Like I'm not, I don't have the training for this yet, but I ended up adjusting to it. And I really enjoyed that population a lot. And I enjoyed that placement a lot by the end of it. 
Absolutely. And sometimes being Spartan kicked out of the baby birth nest is the best way to learn. I've found out. I mean, honestly, that's how I became a specialist in suicide ideation. Unfortunately, I just kind of and that's what inspired my topic for next week, too, of what are we known for? How do we get here that we did not intend on in our journey? But I did want to give room for anyone else who would like to share before we move on to the highlights, the really good treats of being a therapist? Um, I can share, um, you know, the county has many stories. <laughs> so there was a, another situation, um, not as scary as Deborah's, because, oh my God, like my heart stopped with that story. I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> um but I was actually doing an intake. All this stuff happens in intake for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, and it was an individual that was uh, came in with their parent. Um, and but the individual was, a, was an adult. Recently had just been released um, from prison, um, but was like non engaging was like sleeping and stuff, like put a, put put their head on the desk. And so um, like I'm sitting, this is my desk and they're on the other side and they're like laying down, you know, the parents answering all the questions. And um, we get to this space where um, we're talking about what services the client wants, right? Cause at first I have to get them, you know, Obviously, I did the ROI first, you know, just want to let that out there. Not crazy. I did do the ROI since the parent was there. <laughs> but, um, but so we talk about the services. So they get into an argument because the client is like, I'm, I don't want no services. I, I don't want to see a therapist. And the parent is like, that's what you need to be able to say with me. And so the client gets agitated and like they're talking, but the client still has their head on the desk. So I'm just typing, right? Cause I'm looking at the computer. I'm just typing all the other stuff, finishing up the notes. And then the client gets up and just boom, bangs on the desk and just starts screaming at the parents. So I slide back because <laughs> it's the client, the computer, the desk and this is the emergency button. <laughs> and I cool, calmly, collectively told them, I was like, hey, this is an outpatient facility. Everything is voluntary here. If you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Or it's right there. We can end this today. Please let's end this today. <laughs> Please let's end this today. <laughs> so I ended that. End this today. So they get up, they leave, and uh, I'm like, okay, maybe they won't come back. The client comes back without the parent. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did you? Yeah, I want to finish. And I was like, are we waiting for your parent? And they're like, no, they, they went away. And I was like, okay. And so then I was like, all right. Uh, so, so I brought them back. And I was like, I only had a couple of questions. And then, then I was like, okay, that, that's it. Did you have any questions? Did you want to schedule anything for 
a medical consult or something like that. And they're like, oh, no, my parent needs to do that. I'm like, well, then why are you here with <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, well, then I guess you're free to go. Like, boy, why are you here? Why are you like- here? <laughs> I was just like, I was, when I tell you, I was terrified because I did not expect because he would, you know, they were just laying down and it just got up and boom. boom. And I, I was like, Woo! <laughs> I was like, this is the button, but the security guard is on the right. <laughs> I'm going to fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't get paid enough for this shit. That's like, so true. Raising rates, raising rates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was scary for me. Before we change the mood entirely, anyone else would like to share? Yeah, I'll go ahead and share. Um, this isn't my story, but I um, this happened to a really close friend of mine who we work together. Um, so also, why do these things happen in community mental health um, <laughs> agencies? I don't know. Nonprofit too, man, I'm telling you. It's the nonprofit community uh-huh. mental health. Um, so she had a client who was... Um, about 15 years old, but um, neurologically, emotionally was about five years old. Um, they had some kind of a disorder that was, um, it wasn't like on the autism spectrum, but something else, it's something, something with hormones, like anyways. Um, so this, we do home visits. This is a job that we, we both got out of, um, uh, fortunately. Uh, so we used to do home visits in the community of San Diego and she would drive out and see this client, this client who was five years old developmentally, right. Um, would just up and leave and like run away from home, run into the street and all of that stuff. So what the parents did (laughs) is they put a lock on the door that could only be, uh, it, it was a lock on the door where you could only open the door with the key, right? So she's in there one day. This kiddo expressed a lot of anger. They were not able to communicate. They uh, would, there was like, they would punch and hit mom. Um, again, this is coming from like an older, an older boy, right? But he is just ho- holding these tantrums. And he, and so she had to go in there and like, try to calm him down at one point in time. I mean, it was, she got in between them because he was like punching, socking mom, like in the head, it was bad. And she was, she would just try to intervene and redirect, um, the kiddo to like, let's do this with the pillow. Let's, you know, what, what can we do for you? The scariest point in time was when she called me after a session crying, And I'm like, what happened? Because I knew this is her client. So she was having a session. She was inside with mom, kiddo. The parents were separated. Dad was in there as well. And there is a sibling. And there was some kind of argument that happened. She had to file a CPS case, right? Um, Which we did weekly. That's kind of, it was like a crisis intervention program we, we worked in. And because it was for kids. <laughs> so she said that to the mom, the mom gets super escalated and upset. And the dad 
was known for domestic violence. So there, that's kind of where the report was coming from. So she's left in this room and dad is not living there, but he is there as well, right? And mom gets so pissed off about it that she says stuff to, to the therapist, my friend, and then like walks away and leaves. And the door is locked. My client, I'm sorry, my friend, because it's what it's a it's a thing, it's for the kid to not run away. But now she's left alone. <laughs> There's like they just got into a fight. Kiddo is like exacerbated. And she's like, I'm trying to leave. I guess I don't know. We're not gonna see each other anymore. And there was this like note of panic because she literally cannot open the door. And she is like, how the fuck do I get out? How do I get out? What it like all can you imagine like literally being trapped? I would lose my shit. To, I yeah. So she, I would be done. Like that would be it for me. She could <laughs> not leave. And she was like tr- like trying to keep it together trying to like like there's this huge fight that erupted um basically she was telling the dad can you open the door and he's like I don't have the key you need to talk to her holy fuck finally she was able to convince the sibling who was like really young another little kid a girl she you know developmentally fine all of that to go and get the key for mom and then unlock the door so that the therapist could leave the house talk about triangulation Uh, man wow yeah no and and she she stuck it out and got them it's fragile x syndrome is what he had which is really rare anyway so she got him transferred to a spot and i think she's one of like the best people in the world and i'm lucky to have her as my friend because i i would have fucking left i would have given up you know like what do you do but she stuck it out and finished the treatment as a short-term treatment program fucking kudos to her but yeah this is shit we go through sometimes and it's also a friendly reminder that you know we have to make sure that our safety is paramount like carissa you had the emergency button and i understand in this one it's a bit of a gray area case because the kiddo was like let me yeet myself into the street but we really have to make sure we are safe as clinicians we have a easy exit plan we have maybe people in the office so we're not alone i work from home but even working from home as you guys know but maybe the viewers don't know i had someone try to break into my house mid-session last week and it turns out there was a guy who was high as balls on meth not even three miles away from me where a girl was dangling her feet over the bed and she thought she felt something touch her feet she looked under there's a dude strung out on meth underneath her bed Oh my God. So we think it might be related, but we even working from home, you have to make sure you're safe first and foremost. So I'm aware of time. I don't want to keep the viewers on for five hours as much as I would love to. I can talk for hours. Let's go into the best moments as a therapist. And I'll go first with this one. This is always a case that is near and dear to my heart. And I'm to this day, I still wonder how the little dude's doing, but Back in school-based, that was my bread and butter. I started in school-based, continued in nonprofit, did IOP, and now I'm in private practice. But I did school-based for three years. And for those of you listening who aren't aware of what that is, it's basically just school counseling, but at the school. So I was there all day long during classes, would pull kiddos, we'd have session just like normal, they'd go right on back. But this kiddo, one of my favorites to work with, 
he was very, very young. Like we're talking early elementary age. And this kiddo didn't speak a word to anybody at school for two years. At two different schools. Didn't speak a single word at home. Talking all the time. So we were dealing with selective mutism. And ruling out autism and whatnot. Sorry, my straps are like so big. I lost a ton of weight. Now my clothes don't fit. But with this kiddo, we were playing in the, in the room. And I was trying to see if he'd even be comfortable opening up his mouth in front of me. I was like, let's do bubbles. I love bubbles. They're amazing. So we did a lot of sand tray, a lot of Legos, and we did bubbles. And I remember the day he let out a giggle. Cutest giggle ever. But every time the bubble would pop in his face or pop on my face, he'd laugh. So then the pandemic happened and I was like, fuck, what am I going to do with this kid? Like, I have no idea what to do. We're, we have a computer in between us, but this kind of ties into next week. I don't want to ruin kind of the, the topic for next week, but he loves Roblox. And I was like, all right, he loves Roblox. I'll play with him. And as we're playing, I thought, hmm, what about if I tell him, okay, buddy, I want to play a game with you, but I need to know what game you want to play. So he would tell mom or whisper in mom's ear in front of me and mom would tell me the name of the game. And over time, over three months, he went from zero words in session to 200 words a session, all because I held that space for him and I didn't pressure him to talk. I was just, all right, buddy, let's play. I need to know what game we're playing. And it helped him with his reading comprehension too, because he didn't know some of the words or I would say the words out loud and he'd repeat after me. But then he started initiating conversation. The last that I heard, he was making a whole bunch of friends at school. And it was just a super heartwarming story of just trusting my instinct of, you know what, let's try this. I mean, no one taught me how to play Roblox. No one taught me how to use geek therapy. It's now more popular nowadays, but that makes my day that this kiddo went from literally no words over two years to 200 in a single session. Amazing. Well done, my friend. Thank you. Don't all jump to the mic. Like, I will hop on because I'm probably going to have to make my exit after this. Um, I think back to the to those moments in like private practice specifically before I kind of came over to EAP setting where I would be working maybe with a client who was having a more difficult time, um, especially my younger, my littles and my younger kids who um, didn't always have the words to be able to communicate and being able to not only work with them, but being able to work with their parents to help improve the communication between the two was always something that was really rewarding, especially when you see like these positive outcomes that are coming. Um, but there's nothing better than having, you know, a tiny, like even a child, thank you for something mm -hmm. that you've done that's helped or something that you tried that worked. Miss Brittany, I did this. It worked. It was great. Yes. I, I knew if you tried it, it would. Um, I think my favorite is when you talk about deep breathing exercises and they're just like, Miss Brittany, that doesn't work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, <laughs> so let's, let's practice that and we'll just see. But um, I, I think when I'm thinking about treats, just from the therapeutic point of view, like it's those moments when somebody is able to communicate that they really got something out of the work that you're doing with them. That is the best. I love when clients tell that or like, oh my God, Jess, like you just made it click. 
I love it. Or when they're like, I hated you for the homework. I fucking hated you. But you know what? I thought for a moment, you were right. I'm like, I love those words. Those rules feel my soul. But I love those moments when clients tell us like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you. I feel like sometimes they're few and far between. So, and uh, everybody, I'll see you next week. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Bye, nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Would like to go next. Just to kind of piggyback off of those moments, um, you know, growth and therapy is not like they portrayed in the movies. It's not these aha moments. My life has changed forever. Like their growth is not explosive and it's not linear. And I think it's, it's helpful to kind of remind ourselves of that too. Like, you know, the moments that a kiddo comes in and they're like, yeah, my friend's having a tough time. And um, do you have a card? Cause I want to give your card to them or, yeah, my friend had a meltdown at school today and I taught them, you know, five finger breathing. So like I, I teaching them coping tools or like the moment you hear a belly laugh, like you hear authenticity and the awkwardness of like a client coming in, like they just plop on the couch and they're just like, girl, I have to tell you, like it's, it's those moments where you change the narrative of therapy and you dig destigmatize it. And you've got these littles going out in the world being like, yeah, you like, you need to go talk to Miss Cat. Like, it's those moments that I, I really have to focus on and really kind of align myself on the harder days where those moments aren't really there. Oh, great explanation. Got the mic there. That was very good. I appreciate it. Any other treats that you'd like to share? I would love to hear them. Um, I agree with what everything Kat just said. Like, that was amazing. I really loved it. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think like when we're having a hard time and we get to have those little nuggets of, I really enjoyed the session or you, you really helped me like that picks you back up to be like, okay, I am making a difference. I am doing something amazing. Um, I guess one of the nuggets I'll share is a Um, a couple that I used to work with um, back when I was at Community Mental Health. Um, And we did some great work. We worked together for a year uh, before um, it was time for for me to exit that position. Um, But when they came in, um, there was a distrust, there was infidelity and stuff like that. And we worked it to the point where the trust was rebuilt. Um, and it was just amazing to see that. And even when I left, like it was, they were upset that I was leaving. And this was a shocker because, um, it was a heterosexual couple, but the, the male client was not about therapy day one. Um, and so for, for that full 180 of like, what do you mean? It was so humbling. It was so sweet. It would just, it meant the world to me to know that I had changed like um, someone's outlook of what therapy was, how important couples therapy was and how helpful it could be for the dynamic in their relationship um, where they recognized it and they were going to miss me, but I made sure I did a warm handoff. They're working with a great clinician now. Um, 
and I'm sure they're they're continuing some great work there. Um, I do miss them, and I hope that I wish them all the best of luck. But um, it was quite the amazing thing to see that and to have that conversation with them, and to leave on a high note of, you know, I made a difference. I love that. So like to jump off on what a beautiful Carissa was saying that not only do we have an opportunity here in counseling to change the discourse of what counseling is to help destigmatize it, but I look at it from like an observer jumping out, right? On our day-to-day -day outside being a counselor, we have friends, we have lives and people complain about the dumbest shit. They're talking about their friends. They're talking about their jobs. They're talking about Oh my God, I just can't find those shoes anywhere, girl. Do you know what I mean? And I'm here thinking, wow, do you know what I mean when I just had a client thank me that they didn't think about killing themselves that night? And you really, it just, it like humbles you because you're listening to these traumatic stories day in, day out, day in, day out. You're like, wow, I have a great life. Everything is cool. And I got this. I'm really making a difference in people's lives. Because they're telling you, if you weren't making a difference, I'd be like, peace out. I'm not going to do this anymore. However, I find that more males are totally open. It's like 911 therapist. Hello, are you there? They want to talk to you. And you want to create that space where they get it. You know, they're making these breakthroughs. So I, I just, you know, congratulations to all of you. You guys are incredible clinicians. It's so hard to find people that are doing the right things and are not fucking up. So you know what? Like, can I give a round of applause? Go team for not fucking up. And yeah. You guys are doing good. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Josh? I got to say that uh, for, first, uh, that was uh, absolutely true, Deborah, because the best relationship I've ever had with a therapist is the one female I've been to. Um, and she's also within like five years of my age. So usually I saw these like old Republican men who just kind of, and, uh, I, uh, I, uh, she, she was perfect. So I absolutely understand that. And the same thing I'll say is also, if you are suffering from betrayal trauma as a female, it's okay to see a guy. Um, and, and I have actually found one of my favorite things is when I find a lot of women who are like, thank you for just telling me the way it is. Um, you know, I appreciate you just being straightforward, but my, my, my story is that about six months ago, um, the book that I sent most to you who haven't reviewed it, by the way, um, I reviewed um, it. Everyone I know, review I know, it. Seriously. I know. I saw yours. I saw yours. I saw it. Um, anyway, um, about six months ago. It all got four and five stars, but six months ago, I get a one-star review. It was actually on Super Bowl Sunday, and it was like, what in the fuck? I mean, okay, three stars, two stars. This is just somebody who's being a prick. This must be somebody who does not personally like me, um, and it was like, whatever. So about a month and a half ago, or maybe a lot, I think it was end of August, um, I get a new client, a uh, porn addict. And uh, our second session, right at the beginning, he says, I have a confession for you. And I was like, oh, um, okay, well, what is it? He's like, well, I did something to you. And I was like, oh, okay, what is it? He's like, yeah, I gave you the one-star review. And I was like, that shit's like six months old. You bought my book and didn't like it? And he's like, no, my wife bought it. 
and she loved it and she kept quoting from it and i kept thinking that you were the world's biggest asshole because you had just come in with your book and upended our lives and you're telling my wife to do all this stuff which you read the book i'm not telling you to do a damn thing and um so he finally after like three or four months of this book being around he picks it up and he starts to read it and he tells me i got halfway through and realized i needed to schedule a session with you so i'm sorry about the bad review if i could take it back i would but i'm here with you now it your book got me into uh therapy or counseling or coaching or whatever the hell you want to call it um thank you so much and that was my aha because it kind of was also like a fuck you to him that my book was good and uh and and i'm able to help him now which is which is even better those are my favorite fuck yous That's my yeah, favorite. i exactly. love that or the yeah. clients who are like i hate you i don't want to do therapy anymore and then like three months later they're like hi um it's me you have opening yeah but honestly for those of you if you have not read josh's book or reviewed it please do please review it please read it because it really is good and i'm not just saying that because you're on my podcast josh it really is i don't care why you're saying it it's okay (laughs) (laughs) and last but not least sam yes um one of like the beautiful things i experienced I had a kiddo who was 10, 11 years old. Um, and he, I worked at an agency that was early intervention and prevention for psychosis. So he came on because he was referred to us from his school because he was experiencing visual hallucinations and hearing auditory hallucinations. So he would see big monsters in classrooms like dragon things coming out of the wall or he would hear like a jackhammer at times. Um, and there was a predisposition of um, schizophrenia in the family. Um, mom's brother, his uncle, had had that diagnosis. And so, you know, it can start to come on. And if you kind of, this program is really amazing because it's able to just kind of like give you the tools or de-stress so that maybe it doesn't come into a full-blown psychotic episode. So I was working with this family for about six months, the sweetest fucking family ever. So he started coming in and he was just like this little genius boy, you know, like he would love to create things. And so he would build like model stuff and like, I mean, just so intelligent. And we would use play therapy about emotions and, you know, um, finding whatever stuffed animals I could and like making them talk to each other. And I think so. And the best part about it was the family sessions, being able to kind of bring the family in. And I think these are really hard for therapists because it's scary on us in a way to have so many people in the room. And it was not just a couple family members. I shoved about seven people <laughs> the whole fucking family came how beautiful and scary is that right so that's like a group at that point that yeah so it was the whole mom dad and all the siblings okay and we all were working on things um and eventually he graduated from the program and mom just was crying and like, thank you so much. And he loved Godzilla and we did, I mean, just so many things, but I think 
it was really challenging. And this was my internship, by the way, you know what I mean? This is like where I started and to be able to have this opportunity when you're so young as a therapist and to see, to have these nuggets, I think when, I think it's very true. These gold nuggets are few and far between sometimes. And I, I feel very fortunate to have experienced it so early on that has given me this light and hope to be able to like, okay, this shit works. Therapy works. I mean, I knew that, but right. When you're growing as a therapist, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of stuff. And I think that just like resonated with me. Like, you know, he, he, it was so bad in the beginning. He would not shower because he didn't want to make friends and he liked to smell because it kept people away from him. And then by the end of it, no hallucinations, like no, nothing, all of it, zero zip. That's how you graduate from the program. He was referred then to another community-based place. And so, yeah, I get like teary I think about job. that, but yes. And the family, I, that's, I just think if everyone that's, that's can be open. We were doing therapy in English and Spanish. It was awesome, man. It was so cool. So. That is beautiful. And that, that's also why I wanted to give space to share these amazing stories. Because honestly, like I had a really shitty week last week, therapy wise, that was really rough. A lot of crisis is coming up, a lot of self-hospitalization. And my own supervisor reminded me like, look, that one person, it was like a parent I had to interact with. There's like that one parent it's just a small portion of all of the good that you do. Look at all of the progress in your clients. Look at all of the amazingness that you're doing. I see this light in you when you share these success stories. And I see it in all of you guys as well, by the way. But she pointed out, like, whenever you feel that imposter, whenever you feel like, fuck, man, like, this is a rough week. Remember those moments of kick-assery, of bad-assery, and those moments of light that remind us why the fuck we do what we do, right? So with that being said, I wanted to wrap up for the marketing corner. If anyone would like to share, I'll go first. I'm taking my exam next month, so hopefully I should be licensed by then, but I am taking new clients as well. I do 100% virtual. I do video game family therapy, not necessarily like the huge family group session you had, Sam, but I've played Among Us with families. I've played Roblox with families, and I also do train clinicians in how to use video games like Minecraft, Roblox, Among Us, Animal Crossing, all that fun stuff in a therapeutic setting. And I'd like to open up the floor for anyone else who would like to share some of the fun stuff that they have going on or anything they'd like to promote. I uh, recently added a new worksheet to my small little fun Etsy shop um, where I share a lot of handouts and worksheets that I've created and utilized in session. Um, it is uh, utilizing a more experiential experiential narrative approach to exploring our inner critic um, and really kind of diving deep on the way that we engage in self-talk. So that's on my Etsy shop if anybody wants to check that out. Absolutely. And Kat, if you can send me a link to that, I'd love to put that on the marketing corner on my website. So going forward, I'll also have a little marketing corner where you can find links for any of the wonderful clinicians here and to explore the awesomeness that they have going on. 
Um, well, I guess with that being said, I want to share, um, this is more on the side because I know we get a lot of um, questions from those that are students or want to be clinicians or want to get into the space. Um, and so I wanted to share how important it is to be connected to the community to go out there and network with um, your association with whatever state that you live in. And so here in California, we have the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. Um, and I'm a part of the Los Angeles chapter. I'm currently in the works to be a more active member this coming year. So um, definitely check me out on my website um, or on my Instagram at ParadigmFT. Um, to learn more about that and so that you can get more involved within our association to learn from other clinicians. There's so many different opportunities coming out um, that are, there's like scholarships available for pre-licensed uh, students and associates. Like, so please, please, please go out there, try to communicate, try to reach out, try to network. And if you don't know how to do that and you're in California, specifically the Los Angeles area, reach out to me and I'll get you situated. Awesome, thank you, Carissa. Well, guys, I am over here in Florida and I'm accepting new clients. If you wanna come in in person, explore what that's like, come on in, I'd love to chat with you. Again, I'm an expert in mood-related disorders. I also have something called Neurooptimal Brain Feedback that is a non-invasive tool to help individuals redirect focus and help the brain autocorrect. So that has been really a great tool. Um, and yeah, I'm just doing counseling nonstop. Don't do anything else. Constantly working on new certifications and also incorporating um, like sound healing. I do a lot of visualization. I use a lot of spiritual tools, tools that I have learned through the years to help clients awaken their inner potential and move on forward. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else like to share? I just want to say that uh, before the pandemic started, there was roughly one in three men between 18 and 30 um, self-diagnosed uh, themselves as having an issue with pornography. Now, even if they're off a little bit, I have a feeling those numbers are probably correct now that we're in the pandemic. Um, I'm seeing a lot of guys come to me because I do telehealth who are very successful professional men. And, and I will admit women as well. Um, and uh, one of the things that they tell me is that they are scared to death to go to a therapist locally for some, I guess it's like walking into a porn shop. Somebody's gonna see you going in, somebody's gonna see you coming out. That therapist is gonna mess up and tell somebody who knows you or whatever. So I just want to throw out there to everybody um, that telehealth is a very workable uh, option. I have been both the uh, person receiving and the person giving advice. And uh, I find it to be great. I do love you know, face to face, but telehealth does work just as well. And I am thinking about marketing a ringtone um, of Carissa's laugh. So if anybody is one hundred percent, I'll buy it. I think that I think that <laughs> I'll invest. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That was amazing. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> I didn't see that coming either, and I'm glad it happened. Uh, 
that's, gonna, that's so our new ringtone. That's our new ringtone. 100%. I'm just going to record that and have the intro of the podcast be your yeah. laugh, Rosa. Just, just, just a loop, like, like an Instagram photo. Oh, my God. You guys are, like, beefing that's me our, up right now. That's our theme song. That's the theme it song. It fills right my soul. Like, right. it fills my soul on a visceral level, but a good reaction well, just like oh, i have never fuck. i've never laughed that hard at anything and she laughs that hard at everything like I love my it. lord you should have like cotton candy and and and, and, and gumdrops coming and out like you're, oh my god you're like willy wonka with your with your happy attitude and... i love you guys right now you don't know how much that means to me <laughs> Like a party like, up I'm telling you, like, I, like legit, Wait, are, like are for real, are like. Up? Are we sparking up? <laughs> no, that's later, Josh. That's later. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I didn't know if that was the time of the show yet. <laughs> no, I have this one. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought that was our after hours. Show. Oh no, no, no. That's after. Hours. That's gonna be another episode too. I would love to touch base on that. If you don't know what we're talking about, good. You have surprises coming. <laughs> speaking of though, speaking of next week, we're gonna be talking about: Is there something that you are known for? that you did not intend going into this and how did you get there right and i'll probably think of some other topics to throw in there too for funsies but great time everyone thank you guys so much for joining i love having you guys it is a super fun time you can see anyone on here their instagram that's going to be on my website as well i will be posting all of the handles so everyone send that to me i will be having the marketing corner as well so you'd be able to see all the cool fun stuff that we're working on if you ever want to know when we're recording next or the agenda that is on my website as well happylittlebrains.com but i want to wish everyone a safe healthy and happy halloween i would say don't do anything i wouldn't do but that's really not saying much but make smart choices make sure you hydrate you dehydrated noodles and everyone be safe no stabbing no getting on those spider pages and stay happy stay healthy i will see you guys next week